Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where this week, like every week, we break down the hardest hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, what is it about sports that makes athletes become cultural heroes? I, like many, am guilty of idolizing my favorite athletes and viewing them as role models. But why is that the case? And should it be? All that and more is coming up on today's show. My name is Chad Wiley, and with me is John Nekrasov. John, how are you this week? Chad, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, Liberty basketball took a huge win against UNF last night. Um, we shut them down, even though they were scoring threes on us like crazy. We were both there, and that was a wild game. But I'm excited for our team to kind of start stepping it up and hopefully win the ASUN this year. We're not quite going dancing yet, but it is, it's getting close. It's getting, it's getting close. close. Last year was quite exciting. I think we have a better team than last year. So. I think. Well, Cavill's a big loss, but yeah, not to get too niche into Liberty, but... I do enjoy Liberty Basketball a lot this year. Not as much as Liberty Baseball, but I do enjoy Liberty Basketball. Liberty Basketball is the best team on this campus. They're not the best team. They are. They are the highest profile team. They are the best. They're not the best team. They are the best. That's not true. The baseball team is objectively better at their sport than basketball team is at their sport. College basketball is higher profile. I'm not talking about that profile. I'm talking about better. We could look at what if there are other sports that we are better at. I mean... We don't know that. That's probably true. It's probably like field hockey or lacrosse. <laughs> you have no idea. You're Regardless, just, <laughs> this we have is a just great, conjecture. We have a great baseball team. We have a great basketball team. This is true. Liberty sports is looking very, very good these days. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited for today's conversation, John, because I think this is something that you and I both started thinking about with Kobe, and it's just the idea of athletes as more than athletes, not to steal from LeBron James' slogan, but the idea that they become cultural heroes the idea that they become role models and i think when you look at it in a broad sense you know sports really is just another type of entertainment like music like tv shows like movies and everyone kind of has their favorite musician their favorite actor and their favorite athlete and it's a very subjective decision and process as to why someone becomes their favorite how do you view sports not just from what happens between the lines but as that type of entertainment that draws people in. I mean, like you said, with the movie, um, an actor makes the difference between a high-quality movie and a bad movie. And in sports, you know, we're drawn by the energy on the field, by the competition, by the excitement of watching a goal or a last-minute buzzer-beater three-pointer go in. But ultimately, it's the people on the field or on the court or on the rink that make the difference for us. And... I think one good, great example for me growing up as, you know, a 10-year-old kid who, as hard as it is to believe, didn't know anything about soccer, never watched soccer. In the 2010 World Cup, I remember seeing Andres Iniesta, the Spanish and Barcelona superstar, take the field and he just, he took my breath away at the same time. I remember just watching him receive passes and just almost effortlessly, like a magician, just glide around the field. And it was really remarkable to see this guy who was understated, who was quiet, who made an impact not by being loud or talking a big game, but by simply just doing his thing on the field. I remember seeing that and as, you know, as a 10-year-old kid thinking, you know, this is a guy who, you know, as fantastic of an athlete he is, is just another human who is out there, you know, doing something that I could never do, but also like representing me as a human understated person who is watching someone you know doing unbelievable things and I think that 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 relatability kind of shows 
kind of what we're looking for in athletes. We're looking for those characters, those personalities that remind us of ourselves. And your example is a little different. Yeah, yeah. Our goal for today's show is to just kind of give people an idea of what about an athlete makes them become a hero. And then later on, we're going to get into should they be heroes. But I think you really did hit on that first component, which is the idea of having a relatable personality. And like you said, mine is very contrasted to yours because one of my favorite athletes, possibly my favorite athlete, my favorite soccer player for sure, is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And my first introduction to Zlatan very close up was when he came to the MLS for the LA Galaxy. And I would watch his interviews and I remember I would run to my mom and I would show them to her and we would just laugh at them because he would just say some of the most outrageous, the most arrogant, the most confident things in the world. And he would do it with this massive grin on his face, which made you think that, you know, while he is supremely confident in his abilities, he was also just having a good time. He loved to make people laugh. He loved to be funny. And part of that humor was his personality. And that was so relatable to me. I remember things he would say like, they asked him why he didn't have a car, and he said, well, Zlatan does not fail driving tests. Driving tests fail Zlatan. Or things like when he bought out a full-page ad in the Los Angeles Times that said, Dear Los Angeles, you're welcome, when he agreed to come to America. And just some of these things that, to some people, rub them the wrong way, come across as arrogant or like a jerk or that they're um, just too confident but to me it was just always good nature it was always fun and then he would go out on the field and he would deliver on all of those things that he said he would and that kind of as someone who likes to have a big personality who likes to make people laugh who likes to you know take what i do seriously and believe in myself I, it really resonated with me yeah i will never forget him getting ready to leave paris saint germain a few years ago and people were asking him to stay and he's like and he seemed totally serious when he said it. He said, if Paris replaces the Eiffel Tower with a statue of me, I will stay. And I'm just like, I can't even fathom that amount of arrogance. But at the same time, like it's characters like that that make sports fun to watch, that make, you know, they, they give the sport the flair that we want. And I think that's another factor in terms of role models, in terms of greatness, in terms of what draws us to athletes is that that flair. Um, and we talked a little bit before um, recording about someone like Odell Beckham Jr., who, you know, really hasn't done very much in terms of like playoff production, in terms of a lot of things like that. And yet, through one catch that you're going to talk about, you know, he's made this huge impact on the world of sports. Yeah, when you think about someone like Odell, he doesn't have that flair with his personality, but he had that flair with that one moment that made him something bigger than just football, that made him a cultural icon. Odell's not really a guy who talks a lot. He's not a guy with a lot of postseason success. The only really interesting thing about Odell, other than his one-handed catches, are his different hairstyles that a lot of people copy. He has the, the blonde tips in his hair, and you see a lot of kids these days with that same look. But he really only became a cultural icon one, because he's a good player, but two, because of that one catch he made on Thanksgiving Day against the Cowboys with, with his three fingers that is considered widely the greatest catch of all time. And that moment elevated him into something that's bigger than 
you know, just that what happening between the lines. It turned him into an icon, even though he doesn't really have the, even though he doesn't really have the personality or the big clutch performances that you would associate with other people who are viewed as role models. Right, and uh, really, it's just because of his talent that he's famous. You know, we kids in the park look up to him and scream OBJ when they catch a ball one-handed because of his performance. And I kind of almost view, on the other end of the spectrum, Lionel Messi a little bit like this, in that he is a phenomenal player, maybe the greatest player of soccer who's ever lived, and yet, you know, we know very little about him. He doesn't really have a lot of, like, huge personality traits that we see in the media or on the field. He just kind of does his thing, and we watch him, and we're amazed. But... You know, he's not a role model necessarily because of a cocky personality or because of outstanding leadership or because he even is, like, super outspoken in his, like, faith or in his, like, thoughts on social justice. He's just kid's role model just because he's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at the personality, you know, that, that can be an appeal. When you look at the greatness on the field, that's an appeal, you know. It is inherently human to look up to greatness. And when you see someone at the height of their sport, that's something you want to look up to. But I think for someone like you and I, John, who are very in tune with social issues, and you know, this podcast is about social issues in sports, one of the biggest ways that I see role models is when they are when they become an ambassador for something that's bigger than themselves. And you had an example, like all of your examples are in soccer of someone who really transcended even the game of soccer to become an ambassador for something bigger. Right. And yeah, if you're familiar with soccer at all, um, you'll know that racism, both in English soccer and in European soccer as a whole, has been a very large issue of late. And uh, Manchester City's forward, Raheem Sterling, has kind of come to the forefront of the battle against that. And you know, previously, he was kind of viewed as a little bit of a bratty character. Um, a lot of people didn't like him. Liverpool fans especially didn't like him because of the way he left Liverpool to go to Man City. Um, but over the past few years, Raheem Sterling has really kind of started to stand up as an ambassador for fighting racism, for speaking out against the media, you know, being biased against black players, um, speaking out against fans who are disrespecting the game and disrespecting you know, the people who are entertaining them just because of the color of their skin. And Ryan Sterling has stood up in those moments. And, you know, as controversial of a figure as he is sometimes in other areas of his life, and as much as some people don't like him necessarily, like, he has made an impact that goes beyond soccer and beyond sports to combat an issue that's really, like, a problem in European society right now. Yeah, it's so important to see someone stand up for what they believe in and then and just embrace the community and kind of make it their own and Raheem Sterling definitely does that on an international level but it's kind of the same thing as what you see someone like LeBron James do here in America where he's outspoken on issues like police brutality he's outspoken on politics and he invests in his community you've seen what he does with the I Promise school you know giving building a school in his hometown to help kids achieve success in the way he had, giving them scholarships if they graduate from that school, helping the younger generation have opportunities that, you know, he certainly had because of his talent, but that not everyone else could do in basketball. And so when he makes it to the pinnacle of the world 
he's bringing other people along with him. And you see someone like that who really become an ambassador beyond the sport. And so as much as you respect LeBron as a three-time champion, as much as you respect LeBron as one of the greatest players of all time, his lasting legacy isn't just going to be in the conversation with Michael Jordan. It's going to be in the conversation as someone who who used his platform for something bigger. And that's something that a guy like Michael Jordan didn't really do when he had that platform. You know, Michael Jordan famously said, Republicans buy sneakers too. When he was asked why he did not speak out on issues, it's because he was thinking more about his brand and the way he could make money and didn't want to polarize people, while LeBron is someone who is much more comfortable standing up for what he believes in. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point um, because our last example of someone who does make a difference in sports is Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool's manager. And he's not really one to stand up about necessarily like social issues beyond sports all the time. Um, he does you know, stick pretty closely to the sport he manages. But he is an ambassador for the game of soccer and for the spirit of sports around the world in a way that very few people are. You know, he's, he's a joy to watch on the touchline, you know, getting behind every refereeing decision just with energy, getting behind every goal. I remember I remember when Liverpool scored against Everton late on, and he runs all the way across the field, onto the field during the game to celebrate with his goalkeeper. And you know, there's just have been so many th- ways that he's shown, you know, his genuine love and care for his players and for other teams. And you have an example of that that I think is just such a perfect example of what good sportsmanship and what the spirit of sports is all about. Yeah, I've been impressed with the way that he just respects the game. And if you don't know, Manchester United and Liverpool, Liverpool's the team that Jurgen Klopp manages, they're arch rivals. And a 10-year-old Manchester United fan wrote Jurgen Klopp a letter that was basically asking Liverpool to lose a game. And Jurgen actually took the time to respond. He wrote out a response and signed it. And, you know, after explaining that he was not able to let Liverpool lose because, you know, his fans were counting on them to win, he ends the letter by saying, Although our clubs are great rivals, we also share a great respect for one another. To me, this is what football is all about. And he also, you know, commends the young boy saying, you know, I can see that you have a passion for football and for your club. And he says, Manchester United are lucky to have you. And even when dealing with the arch rival on the field, just the level of respect, the level of community that the football world brings is something that obviously impacts him. And he's made an impact not only on that young boy, but he makes the game more fun. And he has a personality. And as an ambassador, he has a role that draws people into the sport and makes them love him. Yeah, I mean, sports ultimately, like we were talking about before, is a form of entertainment. And Klopp understands that. You know, he takes competition seriously. Like I said, he's the first to start screaming in the referee's face when a decision doesn't go his way. You know, he's passionately yelling at his players when they're doing something wrong. But at the same time, like, he understands that soccer is a game that we get to enjoy, that we get to watch, you know, his players give their all in the field so that the community of the city of Liverpool can come together and just enjoy time away from the stresses of work and life. Um, and that's what sports is about, ultimately. You know, without that, without that joy and heart and energy that characters like Klopp bring, like, ultimately, sports is just another competition. You yeah. know, like, it's another cutthroat business of 
people screaming at each other and jumping into tackles and getting angry. And it's like, we don't need more of that. I mean, everyone has their own reasons why they love sports. And everyone has their own reasons why they look up to certain athletes. But it is almost inevitable in the sports world that people do have heroes, that they do have people that they look up to. And that kind of leads us into the bigger question, which is, should they? Because, you know, ultimately we're dealing with humans. And as much as we can admire their performance and what they stand for, the one thing we can't expect is perfection. And with both some good examples and some bad examples, it becomes clear that when you overly idolize an athlete, sometimes it can pay off, but sometimes it won't. And you had a really good example of an athlete who did do a good job of embodying sportsmanship, even when it was costing his team success. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you think about the leading World Cup goal scorer of all time is not Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi or even Pele or Diego Maradona. It's Miroslav Klose. You may have never heard of him. He's a German forward, uh, retired a few years ago. And there was this one time when he was... He played for Lazio in Italy at one point, and they were playing against one of their big rivals, Napoli. And he scores a goal with his hand when the game is tied nil-nil. And he kind of turns away in celebration. And then a few seconds later, you know, he changes his mind, and he goes over to the ref, and he's like, hey, like, I scored that goal with my hand. And the ref obviously dis- disallows it. Um, and, you know, the Napoli players come over and, like, thank him afterward and stuff. And Lazio went on to lose that game. Um, because, you know, that goal didn't go in to a degree. But he chose to put the integrity of the sport in his own personal integrity and his status as a role model of good sportsmanship above winning. And as much as we all want to win, as much as we love to see competitive spirit, I think that his example, you know, even in that small, short instance, says so much about the people that we can choose to look up to as athletes. Yeah, that's, that's such a good example, you know, to young kids of the way you view sports and the way you can be, the way you can show as much integrity as possible while also being as competitive as possible. When I think about sporting icons, there really is one name above any other in my mind, and that's Muhammad Ali. Um, Muhammad Ali passed away recently in 2016. I guess that's not so recently now, about four years ago. But even after his death, even after he's been done playing for decades, he is still one of the most revered, one of the most inspiring, one of the most captivating figures in sports. And when we talked about what kind of makes an athlete a role model, he checks all three of those boxes. When you think about personality, you think about just the way he talked, the way that he would rhyme, the way that he became a character. You know, he famously said, your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see, I'll float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. He called himself the greatest. He had that personality that was confident, but in a way that was endearing. When you talk about performance in his craft, he's widely considered the greatest of all time, the heavyweight champion of the world. There was a time when he was the greatest boxer ever, and some people will still debate him as the greatest ever. And when you think about him as an ambassador for something bigger, he checks that box as well with his stance to not participate in the Vietnam War for religious reasons as a pacifist, even one that could have cost him, well, it did cost him his titles, it did cost him the prime of his career, but he was threatened with jail time. And he was so firm in his convictions that he was willing to risk even jail time to stand up for what he believed in. 
And I think that's such a good example of someone that you can look up to as a role model. But for as many Muhammad Ali's as there are, there are bad examples too. And, you know, the first one that comes to my mind is a guy like Charles Barkley. And Charles Barkley was a guy who was known for getting into fights. He was a great player. He was an all-star. But he didn't view himself as a role model. In fact, when asked about it, he said, I'm not a role model. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. And that kind of speaks to the idea that some people just view themselves as professional athletes and nothing more. Yeah, it's... It's an interesting point because we naturally view athletes as people who are in the spotlight and therefore you know, people we want to look up to and they're big characters. Um, but like you said, many athletes just play the sport because they're good at it. They're not there necessarily even for the joy of the sport of saying, you know, I love basketball passionate area, I love soccer or baseball or whatever. They're there because they have an exceptional talent and they want to put it into practice and they want to be left alone, you know? and you know, when we're thinking about the idea of role models, I think that shows us clearly that like, just because someone's famous doesn't mean that they should be a role model. Just because you have celebrity status doesn't mean that we should start ascribing our goals to be yours. Um, and I guess what stands out to me about that is the fact that we naturally want to make people our role models. We want to see people who, like we talked about before, who are great on the field or who we relate to and say, you know, you know, this is someone that I'm going to put posters up on my wall and watch on TV and follow on Instagram and Twitter and, you know, sometimes like build my childhood around. And yet there are times when those performances on the field or on the court or on the rink don't translate into good character. And that points us toward, you know, kind of that issue of, that these people are humans. They're not athletes on a screen. These are real people who are entertaining us, but also are deeply flawed at the same time. There, there's no perfect human role model, right? Yeah. They're, they're all, there's no person who can take that mantle and do it perfectly. But I think my hope is that when people start looking at human role models, they look at them not because they're perfect, but actually because they're human because you see the growth. And so, you know, as when I become a parent and I'm talking to my kids and I hope that they love sports and that they have sports heroes. And part of that teaching moment is not, oh, look at how great that person is, but well, let's talk about that person. Who were they? What did they overcome? What were their struggles? How did they get to where they are? And did they do the right things to stay where they are, not have some type of fall? You know, you look at someone like Kobe Bryant, who rapidly ascended to the peaks of NBA stardom and then had a massive scandal with um, an alleged sexual assault. It hurt his family. It hurt the reputation of the team. It hurt his reputation. But then over the next 15 years in the NBA, you saw him build that reputation back. And now he dies, unfortunately, but he dies as one of the most beloved figures in society. And it's not because he was perfect, but it's because we saw him mature and we saw him take steps to improve. And I think it's a very human principle to admire people when you see them struggle through the process and then come out on the other side. And I know you had a good example of that as well. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, my example would be 
you know, the NFL star Michael Vick. Um, he came to Liberty to kind of share his experiences after his whole scandal where he was involved in dogfighting. Um, you know, like, you can't really go lower than that as an athlete. You know, being cut from teams, being put in jail. And yet, that experience, that profound, not only imperfection, but like failure, catapulted in him into a journey of faith um, where, you know, he's turned his life around. He's making a difference in society now. You know, not in the NFL anymore, but still very much, you know, living a life that has an impact. And, you know, we know that because, you know, he's human. Yeah. Like you talked about. Like, yeah. he, he's not by any means someone we look at and we're like, that man has lived an excellent life and I want to do live my entire life just like Michael Vick did. But you can look at his mistake and just like we all make mistakes, say, I messed up here. But I can also get back up and move on and, you know, trust that things will work out in the end. Yeah, I think if I can end this conversation on any point, it would just be that in any walk of life, whether you admire a musician, an actor, an athlete, or any other type of profession, if you expect perfection, you're always going to be disappointed. But if you enjoy the greatness you're seeing while also thinking critically about their life, you know, not just turning a blind eye to the bad, not overly celebrating the good, but just viewing things as they are, athletes are a great way to learn so much about life. They're a great way to learn how to achieve success, how to work hard, how to be diligent, how to be devoted to your craft. And when you look at them like that without expecting perfection, you can find some really, really great role models. But when they become godlike heroes, you're just setting yourself up to ultimately be let down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's ultimately whether you're looking at a musician or an athlete or a pastor, like we've seen numerous times in the mm -hmm. past, you know, no human can be our perfect role model. But there's absolutely things we can learn, just like we learn from each other all the time. There are absolutely things we can learn, I believe, from athletes. Yeah, I think we're going to leave that part of the conversation there. I would love to hear from you guys who some of your athletic role models are, uh, what you like about them, what you look for in a role model. I know John and I love to get responses back either in the reviews on Apple Podcasts or at our Twitter accounts. Mine is at Chad E. Wiley. And mine is at John underscore Nekrasov. And we would love to hear from you guys. Let us know uh, who your heroes are, what you like about them. And let us know if there's anything else that you would like to hear us talk about on this podcast because we are always open to suggestions. And so we're going to leave that there. And we'll be right back with John in my favorite segment of the week, Far Corner. And we are back, and it is VAR Corner where John and I give out the clear and obvious errors of the week. And John, this is a very unique VAR Corner because we both have the same topic, but just from two different angles. So do you want to go first on this one, or should I? Uh, I'm just going to jump right in and give my clear and obvious error to the entire judging committee of the NBA dunk contest. You know, the All-Star Game was fantastic, great new format, it was a lot of fun. Um, saw some great highlights. The dunk contest was maybe one of the most ridiculous sporting things 
I have ever seen. Essentially, Aaron Gordon and Derek Jones Got Jr. Robbed. won the first round of the dunk contest. And then, all the judges continued to give them 50s for perfect dunks every ensuing round. Um, and Because they were all great dunks. Because they were great dunks, yes. But what happened was they gave them all 50s, and then they just continued to tie and tie and tie. And they've never done this before. And yet they just continued to go through new rounds of dunks because they couldn't decide who was the best. And finally, Aaron Gordon decides to dunk over Taco Fall. He does not clear his head fully. He cleared him. He did not. He cleared him. He got a point less than Derek Jones Jr. did. And Derek Jones Jr. won. But everyone sat there and just said, Aaron Gordon got robbed. And the fact is, all of this comes back to the issue that the judges should not be giving 50s to every dunk that happens out there. Almost every good dunk by the two of them was given a 50. And if you give everything a 50, no matter how similar it is to the ones before, no matter how, even if it's a clean, excellently executed dunk, that should not warrant you a 50. You're wrong. And I'm about to explain to you why you're wrong. Give because me, Give me three reasons why I'm wrong. My clear and obvious error is not going to the entire judging panel, it's going to three judges. Dwayne Wade, Chadwick Boseman, and Scottie Pippen. Chadwick Boseman should not have been on that board. I agree. You three are my clear and obvious error of the week. And here's why. John explained the whole format, and so I'm just going to skip right ahead to the final round. The final round, Derek Jones Jr. does a pretty great dunk, where he dunks from about a foot inside the free throw line with a tomahawk. It wasn't quite as good as what Michael Jordan did from the free throw line, but it was a good dunk. The judges gave him a 48, which is a good score. It's a good score. It's not a great score. It's a good score. Aaron Gordon has to top that. He needs a 49 or better to win. And so what he does is he brings out Taco Fall onto the court. Who is 7'5"? If you don't know who Taco Fall is, he is a 7'5 giant of a man. The tallest player in the NBA. And there have been players who have dunked over Dwight Howard. There are some who have dunked over Shaq. No one has ever dunked over a seven foot five man. And on the first try, Aaron Gordon not only clears he does and not yes, clear John, him. I said clear. He does not. Taco Watch the Fall. tape. Taco Fall has his hands up, and Aaron Gordon does brush his hands on the way up, and because of that, Taco Fall does, you know, lose his balance a little bit. But first off, when you're seven foot five, you have a bad center of gravity anyway. And two, he hit his hands. His leg clearly brushes his head and pushes it down. Not even a question. It it's it's very questionable. Are you blind? He cleared him. <laughs> and the ju- my point is, Dwayne Wade, Chadwick Boseman, and Scottie Pippen gave Aaron Gordon a nine for that dunk. And while John may be correct that not every dunk deserves a fifty, if you dunk over a seven foot five man, you win. But it's just pure vertical. You win. It's just pure vertical and he didn't clear him. It is an absurd vertical. He was already ducking before he even made contact. And then he made contact even more and pushed him down. Aaron Gordon's rear end was no less than seven foot three feet in the air. Correct, but it's just vertical again. It is incredible. It's of course it's incredible. It I is definitely a 50. can't. I definitely can't dunk over a seven foot foot five. No, you five can't. Man. No, neither can you. It is a fifty. It is not a fifty. It is a. It is. It is the clearest fifty of Just, the night. If he had cleared him entirely, and then tomahawked it in, that would have been a fifty. 
There was no dunk of the night better than that. That's absurd. Derek Jones Jr.'s second dunk was out of this world. It was a good dunk. Through the legs. Oh, maybe it was his third dunk. Through the legs. Alley oop off the board. In the air. Smashed in. You guys can it was go, clean. You guys can go watch on YouTube. Let us know what you think. But if, if you can find a better dunk than Aaron Gordon dunking over a seven foot five man, I would like to see no, it. No, if you can watch that video and think that he fully cleared Taco Fall, I would like to see that too. You have to settle this debate for us. Let us know what you think. I know that Aaron Gordon got robbed, and that's all I'm going to say about You're it. Just trying to feed into the meta narrative. He absolutely got robbed. Narrative. This is this is why people mistrust the media. You're just trying to create a story. Based on him being robbed before. He wasn't robbed the first time. Everyone says he was. I don't think so. I use my own eyes, John. What do you use? My own eyes. Okay. I don't know if you have any, though. Well, I do have glasses, but I do <laughs> I do the best I can. Well, anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Let us know what you think. Make sure to give us a rating. Give us a review. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, on SoundCloud. John, did I miss any? No. All right. Make sure to check us out on all of those platforms. Make sure to continue to come back and listen. And we'll be back with another episode of Crunching Tackles next week. Till then, we'll see you. Cheers, guys.